Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Anybody have anything that you saw during worship that you wanted to share? I felt as we were worshiping that God is getting ready to do a new thing. Um, as we're in his presence and we remain there, he's getting ready to do a new thing, is what I kept hearing. He's getting ready to do a new thing. Hmm. Amen. So this week we're on portion Yitro, and we've come to Mount Sinai. So the, the journey through the wilderness on the seven weeks from Passover to now are culminating in God coming to take his people as a bride. And I think last week or maybe a couple weeks ago, we talked a little bit about, I think it was last week, we talked about if God delivering the children of Israel from Egypt would have been enough. You know, if that would have been enough. But in one way, it's miraculous and it's wonderful. But in God's eyes, it wasn't sufficient. Instead, he wanted to not only deliver the children of Israel from Egypt, but he wanted to take the children of Israel unto himself as his own. And one of the things in this week's portion that, that starts out is the encounter with Jethro. And I, I've heard noted a distinction between what Jethro heard of what God had done while he was still in Midian versus what he heard from Moses when he came to, to see Moses and bring Moses' wife and children to him. And so I just want to take a quick look at that. The first thing is in Exodus 18.1, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Okay, so the verb here is the same one that we say about God bringing forth bread from the earth, you know, hamotzi, uh, that he brings forth. He brought Israel out of Egypt. But then when he, a few verses later, when he speaks to Moses in Exodus 18, 8, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now in those few verses, we see the word delivered repeated over and over and over, which is different than brought out. And the Hebrew word here is natsal. And it can mean rescued, saved, delivered, but it also can mean like snatched away or taken as spoils. Right? So, it's just a multi-dimensional word that goes beyond just, okay, you've been, uh, you've been brought out, but now there's this aspect of saving and rescue and being God, you know, what God has taken as his possession, as his actually prized possession from Egypt. In fact, uh, in a few verses, we're going to talk about how uh, God says, you'll be to me a, a treasured possession, a segula. And a segula in, ancient, uh, in the ancient Near East spoke specifically about a, a, the king's prized possession that he took from battle. Okay, and so this is the, the special treasure that he had taken, that he had delivered. And when, when uh, the discussion was being made of, well, what's the difference between just being brought out versus being saved or delivered or rescued? And the, the idea is that saved, delivered, and rescued is for a purpose, right? Um, so if, if the children of Israel were just brought out of Egypt, then what? You know, what do they do? Are they, are they just redeemed for, are they just delivered so that they can then go on and live their life the way that they want to live? Or are they actually redeemed for this purpose of being brought unto God and then now being brought unto God, being sent out with a special calling to be a light unto the nations? And so this idea of, what Jethro heard was that it wasn't just that God brought them out, 
that he vanquished Egypt, but he vanquished Egypt for the purpose of bringing a people unto himself who would then be his special treasure, who would transform the world. And so within the aspect of this, we're brought out of death, out of affliction, so that we can have life, right? And we find that life in relationship with God. And earlier, uh, Chelsea was talking about how she'd watched The Lord of the Rings and how Frodo had had a decision to make. Was he going to choose life? Or, you know, was he going to take on risk in order to really choose life? Because he could have sat in the Shire and said, well, I can live a little bit longer, right? But he took on great challenge, great risk to choose life and to go forward and not only have his life preserved, but also the lives of others preserved, right? And, and that's really, I don't know, I think a key part of what, what we find when we look at the giving of the Torah and the marriage unto God uh, and the giving of the Spirit and this life we have in Yeshua is that it's really saved for the purpose of life. It's not, it's not about uh, saved for going to heaven, right? Um, that's a good thing. So, I mean, going to heaven is a good thing, right? But heaven's a destination, right? But like, why is it good to go to heaven? Well, because you'd actually be in close proximity to God. You'd be with him. You'd be able to know him. You'd be able to have a deeper relationship. That's the purpose. The purpose isn't just so, hey, I'll have a place to go. It's so that you will be with your creator and you will have life. And, and that's what, what Yeshua says everlasting life is in John 17, 3. That's going to be a hard one to find, Jeremy, because it's towards the end <laughs> of my notes. But John 17, 3, Yeshua says, I'm almost there. There we go. And this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Yeshua the Messiah whom you've sent. He said that is what everlasting life is. Everlasting life isn't living in heaven. Everlasting life is knowing God, knowing him. And, okay, so we're going to kind of work a little bit backwards. So how about, you know, when we talk about this week's gospel reading that we had was in Matthew 19, Verses 16 through 19, or not 16 through 19, but it was longer than that. So I think it was 16 through 26. But what Yeshua says is he explains what eternal life is here. Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Yeshua said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting, right? Because, you know, you go on in here and the, the rich young ruler says, well, I've done all these things. And Yeshua says, well, if you want to be complete or if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions give it to the poor, and come follow me. Right? And the, the, rich, uh, the rich young ruler goes away. He's grieved because he has a lot of possessions. And so he goes away sad. And oftentimes people wonder, well, what, what happened to the, the rich young ruler? And we really don't know. Right? But what we do know is that he had relationship with God. He was walking according to God's commandments and his ways, and he was wanting to go deeper. He didn't like the answer he was given of what deeper would look like for him. Because sometimes what we have to have stripped away from us, it's hard to have stripped away from us to be able to go forward into the next level of relationship with God. Now, when God calls us to those different levels and those challenging areas, the truth is we may not actually go forward into it right away. We might actually be like, oh, hang on. Hang on, that's a little hard. That's a little difficult. Or maybe we don't even understand, right? If, 
I was going through years ago and, and reading through my, uh, my journal. And for a period of three years in, in, this, uh, in my journal, I had written down, I think I only wrote it three times. It was like almost every year. I feel like God wants us to keep a Sabbath. <laughs> and I just, but, but then it's like, what did I do with it? Nothing, right? I wrote it each time whenever I had that sense. It's like, huh, I wonder what that is. But it, I never did anything. And then later on, once I came to understand, oh, wait a minute. Hang on, the Sabbath is the seventh day. And it's, um, it's a day that God has commanded us to remember and to observe. And it's, and it's meaningful. Now we're going to go do it. Looking back on that, I was like, oh my goodness, you've been trying to knock on my thick skull for three years and I haven't been answering. But then it, it, even within that, there's this, wow, your grace and your mercy and your patience is so wonderful uh, unto me to, to keep calling out and to keep calling me to come and do this for my benefit, right? For my benefit. Because, you know, when you think about it, it's like, does God need me to set the Sabbath day aside? No, he doesn't really need me to, but what he wants me to, because he's like, come, be with me. I've, set, I, I've made an appointment to visit you. Are you going to come to the appointment? And then it's us to say, yes, yes, I'll come. And as I do, I'll get to know you more and more. And, but God's just so patient with us in this. And so he gives us his word he gives us a revelation of himself and his truth, his character, his nature. And he calls us to come and be with him. And when he calls us to do it, he calls us step by step. He's like, now come here. Now come forward to here. We're always on a journey with him. The, 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 the thing is for us to say yes along the way in that journey. And even when we hesitate, He's going to keep inviting and keep saying, no, 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 I do want you to come. I do want you to come along this, this path. And so the rich young ruler that day was not ready to go and strip away what would keep him from going further into the kingdom. But he was walking with God. He was keeping the commands to the best of his ability. Now, can keeping the commands give him everlasting life? No, but his heart unto God that caused him to go forward and seek to keep God's commandments. That's what brings him into life with God. Because it's the relationship with God that leads to everlasting life. And so Yeshua gave him, he said, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then he lists, he lists commandment six, seven, eight, nine, and back to five. Razi, did you have a question? Okay. And uh, so six, seven, eight, nine, back to five. And then he says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you might wonder, why did he, why did he choose to do that? I mean, back in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, someone came to him and said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the Torah? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the Torah and the prophets. So he's giving, he's giving two answers that are distinct, yet they are very much overlapping and related. Because he's saying the greatest commandment is to love God, and the other that is like it, a second, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is a representation of the two tablets that the Torah was written on. Now, there's various opinions on how the, uh, how the words that were spoken were written on the tablets. In some cases, it's viewed as, well, there were two tablets and they both had the full set of 10. And then there's other views that, well, there were two tablets and one had a set of five and the other had the second set of five. For this illustration, I'll go with the, with the version of two tablets, one with one set of five and the other with the second set of five, just for illustrative purposes. So if we were to look at the, at the commandments that were given, you have remember God, do not have any idols, you know, don't, don't participate in idolatry, 
Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Keep the Shabbat and honor your father and mother. That's the first five. Then the second, and in fact, why don't we go ahead and just read in uh, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 18. This way I don't give you the Cliff notes, the Chris's notes. I'll give you the, uh, what the scripture says. Um, God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Okay, so we have the, the ten statements or the ten commandments that were given here. And the first five, it is said that those represent our vertical relationships. Okay, having to do with, well, the first four are all having to do with God. And then number five is honor your father and your mother, right? Now that's interactions with humans, but they're your parents, the ones who brought you forth into the world. And so they have a position over you. So it's vertical relationships. And then the second set of five are all having to do with horizontal relationships. So all having to do with your fellow man. And so you have what Yeshua said in Matthew 22. He said the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Within saying this, there's an implicit uh, statement of saying the Ten Commandments, pointing back to the Ten Commandments. And he says that all the law and the prophets hang on those two on those two uh, commandments, and so on, on the Ten Commandments, ultimately. And then when he goes through and explains to the rich young ruler, and he says, okay, what do you need to do? You need to do six, seven, eight, nine, and five. Interesting, right? So, so I was thinking about, like, well, the, the point of that, I, I don't know for sure, right? Okay, I'm just going to kind of share some thoughts. But... He's almost going in reverse order of love your neighbor as yourself and then love God. But by referencing even six through nine and, and number five, there's a relationship between those and the others that links them together where, again, by, by inference, he's referring to the whole thing and then summing it up with his last statement of you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And... If we look at commandment number one, it's related to commandment number six. Commandment two is related to commandment seven. Commandment three is related to commandment eight. Okay? And if we go through in short order here, in the first commandment, God says, you shall remember that I am the Lord. And then in commandment six, you shall not murder. Okay, the connection here is that God's creation, mankind, has his image placed in them. So do not, do not kill the image of God that is in man. Okay, and then on the converse side is remember who God is. Do not forget who he is. Do not blot him out from your memory. Do not blot man out from your memory either. So then the second one comes down. Don't have any idolatry. You know, don't, um, 
don't commit adultery with other gods. And then don't commit adultery in your human relationships. And then number three, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. It's tied with not stealing. Okay, what happens if we take the name of the Lord in vain? We take the name of the Lord in vain. We're profaning his name. Okay, we're stealing from God his true character and nature, right? And so the same thing, don't steal, don't steal from God and don't steal from your neighbor. And then number four comes in to remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. And he says that for in seven days, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? And that, it, that gives witness to who he is as the creator of all things. So when we keep the Shabbat, we testify that he is the creator of all things. We're giving true witness of who God is. And then number nine is do not bear false witness against your fellow. So do not bear fit false witness against God. And then you come in at number five with honor your father and your mother and do not covet is number 10. And you kind of scratch your head and you say, well, yep, this was going really well until we got here. <laughs> So forget that theory and let's start over, right? No, 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 hang on. But, you know, what, what, I, what I heard uh, explained on this is that, and, and, and note, note here too, right? When we, when we read what, the, what these were uh, back in Exodus 20, the first, okay, if we were to go back here, Exodus 20, 1 through 18, God begins to speak the 10 statements and he goes through, 12 verses expounding on the first five. And then numbers six through nine are summed up like just, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Boom, 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 right? And then covet goes into this long thing of, do, he, I mean, it, it could have been just do not covet your neighbor's anything. But he says, do not covet your neighbor's house. Your neighbor's wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, anything that's your neighbor's. Because this is a big deal. And ultimately, what it boils down to is when you begin to covet what others have, you're saying that what you have is not sufficient. And what they have is better. It's kind of like the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. It's like, well, what they have is really what would make me whole and complete. But God messed up and he didn't give me what I need. I really need to go try and get what they have. Same thing now if you flip it on the other side. Honor your father and your mother, the ones who are your creator. The ones who brought you into the, into the earth. And then God brought you into the earth. Give honor to what God has made you. And have appreciation for what he's made such that you don't actually have to want to be someone else or want what others have. But you can say, no, I can be satisfied in what God has made me and I should give honor to him through what he's given me and made me to be. Yes, Paul. There's a lot of truth to that. Right, yeah. And, and um, in, in, in your statement of how you have to love your neighbor in order to really love God or love your brother in order to really love God and show them really the honor and the respect that they're due. And, and uh, that's ultimately tying into what the Ten Commandments are summarizing. When we look at this and consider these commands, there's honor and revere, respect God in all these dimensions. Respect and honor your neighbor in all these dimensions. Right? And then the last one with honoring, like honor your father and mother and, and do not covet, is to say, you know what? God created me with his image within me, and he's given me all that I need. And if I'm supposed to respect and honor others because they're created in the image of God, then shouldn't I honor and respect myself as well instead of making myself little and saying, I'm not good enough. I wish I was as good as so-and-so. I wish I had what so-and-so has, right? And so there really comes down this aspect of respect and honor that's given to God and to man and not only to others, but also to yourself, right? And, and so when Yeshua 
says, keep these commands and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In some ways, he's kind of summarizing what the result of the Ten Commandments is, is that you're going to, here, let me see, I think it was, there we go. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love yourself, it's going to be a little hard to love your neighbor. Now, you can do it, right? You can do it. But, but God wants you to love yourself as well as love your neighbor, right? Because he sees you as a special treasure, a treasure, treasured possession that he has bought with a price that he is brought out of slavery to sin and death, and that he has given life and placed himself in, and then set us apart for a purpose that we would choose life and that we would go and be agents of life. He delivered us so we could be fully his, right? To be fully his. And, and so he wants his life to permeate every aspect of our being. He wants his life to permeate every aspect of our being and he wants us to be in covenant relationship with him. And part of that covenant relationship with him is listening to his voice and having his voice transform us. You know, last week we talked about how God healed the people's bitterness and that one of the key aspects to the people being healed of their bitterness was carefully listening to his voice. And this is Exodus 15. 25 to 26, if you recall these verses from last week. This is when they had come to the bitter waters. Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. And we, we talked about how God was saying to them that I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to direct you. I want you to listen to my voice and follow me because my commands bring life, not bitterness. My commands bring healing, not affliction. And so he's calling to them to walk with him. And then the next verse that follows this, the scripture says, Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Now, the twelve springs of water and the seventy palm trees has symbolism built into it. In fact, from what I understand, there's quite a few opinions of what this may mean. I actually don't know what all those are. But I do have a thought that I'll share with you. <laughs> <laughs> on it. And so when I see 12 springs of water in the 70 palm trees encamped by the water, then what I think of is the 12 tribes of Israel are the springs of water. Now, why are they the springs of water? Because they're the ones who are entrusted with the Torah, the Torah being the water, right? And that gives life and nourishment to the 70 palm trees. The palm trees could not survive in the wilderness were it not for the water that they were by. And so the 70 palm trees, I think of them as representing the 70 nations of the world. And so Israel, God gave Israel the Torah, gave them the waters that give life. And now they are to bring that life to the nations. And then the nations will draw from that rich source of life and can live no matter what the circumstances are around them. And last week when I, when I closed um, in prayer, I read from Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8, and I feel like this even ties into that. Is blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The key thing for the tree is that it was planted by the water and sends out its roots by the stream. And from that, it got its nourishment so that it could go forward and bear fruit even in a time of drought, even when things are tough, even when you're having to choose the hard road. 
that's dangerous, there's still that nourishment. There's still waiting on God to renew our strength as we sang earlier. I think that's such a key thing. And when we tie that in with God renewing our strength, He's the source. And then Suzanne saying that God's doing something new, right? Well, when we do something new, when God's doing something new, then that's, that's change. Change can be challenging. Change can require extra flexibility, extra willingness to take on something that is challenging or taxing. And it's, it's in those times we need to be sending our roots out by the stream, just reaching into a deeper relationship with God and having Him pour into us. And it's His waters that bring refreshing and renewal. And in Isaiah 55, the scripture says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting, make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So it's again God just beckoning to come, hear his voice so that you might live and have life. And that's what God was doing when he came down on Sinai. Is he was saying, let me give you a key to life. Let me give you a key to life. And this key to life is the revelation of who I am. This revelation of who God is. And before we go and, and, and talk about God coming down on the mountain, let's just take a pause here where God is expressing His purposes for the children of Israel. He's saying, I've brought you out for this purpose. Here's the purpose. When Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves, yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God took them. He said, you are my prized possession that I've taken you are the Segula, the Am Segula, the people who are treasured. And when Moses comes and tells them what God has said, they say, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so then God tells Moses to get the people ready. Okay, so let's look at Exodus nineteen sixteen. Okay, um... God had told Moses to tell the people to, to get ready for him coming down on the mountain. And in Exodus 19:16, the scripture says, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they, stood, they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended, descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So God told the people to prepare themselves because he was going to come down on the mountain and to get ready for this new relationship that they were going to be entering into. And God reveals himself in smoke and fire on the mountain. And the sight had to be incredible to make the people tremble and then to hear his voice. You know, multiple times in the scriptures we read about an angel appearing to someone and like, for example, uh, Samson's parents, they, uh, they met an angel and the angel went up in the fire of the, of the offering that they made and they said, oh, we are done for, for we have seen the Lord, right? And they saw an angel, right? 
but they felt like they were undone. Can you imagine the presence of God coming down on the mountain in your sight and then you hear him speaking? It would have been just, uh, well, awe-inspiring. Um, but here, God shows up on the mountain and he begins to speak his words of truth to them. And, and one thing that he had told Moses when he told the people to get ready, he told them that he was going to speak to him in the sight of everyone so they would believe in him forever. And I don't remember where that was. But, uh, but he said, I I'm going to speak to you so that they will believe in you forever. And that's a key aspect where because of the revelation that God gave, it would establish to the children of Israel that, yes, Moses is the spokesperson for God. God spoke. We asked Moses, hey, no, no, you talk to God for us and relay his words to us because otherwise we're going to perish. And so... God would speak to Moses and he would relay to them what the word of the Lord was. And then, of course, Moses taught the children of Israel many, many more commandments of God and then of how to, how God's word applies in their life. Um, I know I'm jumping around a little bit here, but there was an, back when Yitro had come to, to Moses and Moses sat as a judge. What he said to Jethro is in Exodus 18, 16, he says, When they have a matter, one comes to me, and I judge between a man and his fellow, and I make known the decrees of God and his teaching. The people were coming to gain greater understanding of what God's word looks like applied in their life. And then Moses said, he considered it a great honor, I think, to be able to relay to the people, here's what God's word looks like applied in your life. Here's how you will relate with one another in all your personal interactions. And so that's a key part of how, of how we're to, to live and really experience the life of God in us is searching the word, understanding what does your word say? How does it apply in my life? I know that it's applied throughout all time, okay? But then there's also specific, specific instances of how it applies in my situation today. Oftentimes we'll come across the scriptures and we'll, uh, we'll read a commandment and say, well, that one doesn't really apply, I can move on. But the reality is that even deeper within there, it's like, what's the principle behind the command? And how does that principle apply in our lives? There's, there's one verse that I have sometimes um, talked about in the past where the scripture says, do not stand upon your brother's blood. Okay. And you read that and you say, okay, well, if I'm just going to go with the scripture, Okay, I'm not going to stand on my brother's blood. Well, that's pretty easy because there's not often a pool of blood on the ground. <laughs> so you can check that one off, drive on, next verse, right? But that's not what the scripture is talking about. It's, it's talking about not allowing your brother's character to be assassinated. You don't stand by while someone is tearing down your brother. It's like, oh. And, and there's, there's context that gives within the passage that gives us that understanding. But it's like sometimes we have to go a little bit deeper and say, well, what are you really looking for here? And when we, when we even take it back a step further, if you don't stand by while your brother's character is being assassinated, while they're being slandered, what we're really talking about is take it a step further, take it back. It actually falls under you shall not murder, right? Because you're not allowing your brother's identity to be dragged through the mud. You're not allowing their character to be assassinated. And so there's multiple levels of the, the Ten Commandments even that, 
that we have to come to understand and how it applies in our life. And, you know, I, sp- I spoke about the, the slander being part of what falls under, under murder. That's what the sages have said is that these commandments, they sound simple at their top level, but there's multiple understandings to them and applications because we can't just say, okay, well, I didn't murder today. I'm doing pretty good. It's like, well, did you speak evil of your neighbor? Did you slander him? Did you allow someone else to do that? Okay, well, that falls under commandment number six. Right. But the thing is, within all this, you know, Yeshua says that keeping these commandments gives you life. And we know that God's word gives us life. And it's like, well, how is it that it gives us life? And I believe that the way that it, it gives us life is because it's drawing us into deeper relationship with God. It's causing us to be able to set aside something that is of the flesh, something that would actually hinder our relationship with Him, so that we can draw closer and closer into Him, so that we can hear His voice more clearly, so that we can have our character and nature transformed into the character and nature of our Messiah. Right? And so that we can truly know God and in that have everlasting life, not just for in the world to come, but even in this world. And then as we do this, as we walk out God's commandments and see the transformation of what a life in Him looks like, then we become these pools of water for our community and for our neighbors, for our family, such that through God, from God working in us and through us, we can actually bring life to others as well. So as we're saved for a purpose, so we're saved to have everlasting life and to minister that life to others and to this world. One of the things, additionally, in this week's portion was Jethro's advice to Moses. And how the community can work together to bring this life and have it spread more rapidly, more, more efficiently, if you will. And one of the things was that Moses would sit from sunup to sundown and give revelation of what God's judgments were so that people could walk in it. But Jethro said, what you're doing is not good. And this is Exodus 18:17. The father-in-law of Moses said to him, the thing you do is not good. You will surely become worn out, you as well as this people that is with you. For this matter is too hard for you. You will not be able to do it alone. Now heed my voice. I shall advise you, and may God be with you. You be a representative to God, and you convey, convey the matters to God. You shall caution them regarding the decrees and the teachings, and you shall make known to them the path in which they should go and the deeds that they should do. And you shall discern from among the entire people men of accomplishment, God-fearing people, men of truth, people who despise money, and you shall appoint them over the people as leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, and leaders of tens. They shall judge the people at all times, and it shall be that they shall bring every major matter to you, and every minor matter they shall judge, and it will be ease for you, and they shall bear with you. If you do this thing, and God shall command you, then you will be able to endure, and this entire people as well shall arrive at its destination in peace. Right, that last part. This entire people shall arrive at its destination in peace. And what it was is many people rising to the occasion and saying, hey, God, I'll be the vessel. I'll be the one who is willing to say, you know what? I'm going to set aside the things that would be something that would hold me back so that I can be one who pours into the community and helps the community arrive at its destination in peace. And these were God-fearing people, men of truth who despised money. And that's all that said there. I'm thinking more of what, uh, what Paul talks about where he goes through an entire list of the character that God is looking for 
and, and leaders, right? But then even beyond leaders, it comes down to everyone having a part to play in a community that's going forward. Everyone having something to pour in and to give because every person within this community is a special treasure of God given his identity placed within them, his gifts that he has poured out for the benefit of the body. And, and, and you know, we can't do it alone. God's given his Torah to a people to walk out and carry out in community. And then we have a community here that's walking together in, in good relationship with one another in healthy relationship. And each of us has a part to play. And each of us has to ask the question of, am I playing my part? Or what part, what part has God given to me that I know I'm not walking in? What is it that he's asked me to do that I've hesitated to say yes to? And then from there, say, I'm going to go and I'm going to seek that out. I'm going to go and I'm going to say yes to the invitation. Whatever that may look like. And for each of us, it's different. But, but the result of everyone seeking to say, okay, Lord, here's what you've given me. I'm going to go forward in it, is an entire people arriving at its destination in peace. And you say, well, what's our destination? Well, our destination is eternal life, right? It's deep relationship with God. It's loving God and loving our neighbor. It's helping each other extend our roots by the stream to be renewed by the Lord. And then as a community, to be that spring of water that others can come and draw nourishment from, right? Both those within the community and those without who need a place to find who need to have their encounter with the risen Savior. Because when He comes, He comes in power to a people who have given, given themselves over to Him and, and are seeking to walk in unity. There was... Um, I don't remember where this verse was, unfortunately. Maybe it's in my notes. Yeah, it's, it's not, unfortunately. But there is a, a passage in this week's portion where it speaks about the children of Israel in the singular tense. Okay? And it's speaking of the unity of the nation and how they had gathered as one. And that unity that they had was because they were facing the mountain, right? They, they, were, they were all camped facing the mountain of God, looking to God, having Him be the center that was their focus, and that brought unity within that body. And so when we think about what we're doing, our focus has to be on God and everything that we're setting forth. It's not to build our own name. It's not to build our own kingdom. It's to build the kingdom of the Lord and say, how are we pouring into that? How are we building this? And only if we're... I'll, I'll read what I, these notes that I saw. Um, only if we're focused on God do our differences suddenly cease to be obstacles to unity. This is what the Lubavitcher Rebbe said. Okay? He said, only if we're focused on God do our differences suddenly cease to be obstacles to unity? It's when we stop looking at God and stop, start looking at all the differences between us that we, that we lose unity. <clears throat> and so, as we come into this, as we come into the new thing that God's doing, as He's looking to reveal more of Himself and see Himself revealed in us, we have to keep our eyes on Him and our eyes focused on what is it that we're really seeking to do. We're seeking to be that dwelling place of God's presence in us individually, in our homes, and in our community.
and in that, in that we'll see life and we'll see true restoration. God's given us a special place in his kingdom. And the road isn't always easy as we walk along it. But if we can go arm in arm with one another, if we can help each other at each step along the way, then we're going to arrive at that destination in peace with God as the center of our lives. So, amen. Does anybody have anything that you'd want to share? Right up here, Michael. With Trish. Thank you. Um, I have a meeting to go to this afternoon, and exactly what you have talked about is going to be uh, part of the topic that is going to be. So I felt really strongly when you talked about that God wants us to love ourselves as we love others. And, and that has a lot to do with the topic uh, this afternoon because uh, I said for most of my life from an early childhood, God loves me. God loves me. But yet I didn't love myself. Mm. And until about eight years ago, God metaphorically hit me over the head with a two-by-four, which he does sometimes so that we'll get his attention or he'll get our attention. I realized that loving yourself is not selfish love. And uh, so often in the Christian world, we are taught, you know, that you're being selfish if you love yourself. And I learned that when I said, God loves me, it was like, okay, I love you. Now, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to walk in that? And I could not walk in that without first loving myself because I couldn't really love others and I couldn't really walk in all the love that he gives me without realizing that I have to love myself first. And a lot of times we are afraid to do that mm-hmm. because loving ourselves meanings, means going back in our lives and looking at why that started. And, um, and hopefully, you know, the Bible is such a love letter to us. And uh, so often we, uh, um, we really zero in on um, uh, the bad things. You know, how can God kill a whole race of people if whatever? He did that because he loved the Israelites mm-hmm. and he protected them. And the Israelites didn't get a clue and do what he said. And so that caused so much problems. And I think as individuals, we don't get a clue. Yes, God loves us, but he wants us to love ourselves. And how we do that is a journey. And um, so that's, you know, that's what I got out of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it can be really difficult to love ourselves Yes. The way God wants us to love ourselves, yes. because we're often our biggest critic. Yes. We know all of our shortcomings better than what everyone else knows. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so there can be a lot to overcome in that. Mm-hmm. But if only we knew the depth of God's love, mm-hmm. you know, then I think that we could actually, well, the more we understand the depth of His love, the more we're able to receive it and then with that receiving strip away these barriers that keep us from really loving ourselves and that's the arm and arm part Mm. you know um i've heard people say before you know um uh let's see how did they put it um the church eats its own Mm. i have heard that before Mm. and uh and i never really understood that until i realized that a lot of times we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Hmm. So uh, being arm in arm together and knowing uh, each other mm-hmm. and knowing uh, 
how you can talk with each other, I think, is really important. And that's one of the things I really like about this church is that community and wanting to know each other, I think, is really important. So, Amen. Yes. Thank you, Trish. Quick question. When you talked about the connection between the Ten Commandments, I got kind of stuck on one. I'm still a little confused, really. Okay. When you said the taking the Lord's name in vain is connected with do not steal, mm-hmm. right? Is that what that was? Yeah. I'm thinking about it, and I don't know that I've ever really understood what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. I always okay. kind of thought that it was like, you know not being very reverent of his name and just kind of using it willy-nilly, not being in a place of reverence. But if you could explain that connection just a little bit more, that'd be really helpful. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so taking the the Lord's name in vain is at its surface level often kind of simply stated as, you know, don't say his name in an irreverent way. But it's so much more than that because... God's name is so much more than a pronunciation. God's name, when we refer to someone's name, we're talking about their character, their reputation, their authority. Like when you pray in Jesus' name, you're not praying in the pronunciation of Jesus or Yeshua or Yoshua or anything. You're, you're praying in his authority and his character and his person. So now if we take God's name in vain, then what we're really doing is we're profaning his name. So there's, we can sanctify God's name, sanctify his character, who he is, represent him rightly, or we can profane him and misrepresent him. Um, and so that's really what the commandment is primarily about, is are you representing him rightly or are you representing him wrongly? And with the you shall not steal, the, the word used is actually referring to kidnapping. You shall, not, you shall not steal someone is what the commandment is. But you shouldn't steal their things either. But you shouldn't, <laughs> but you shouldn't steal someone. You should, you know, and, and you shouldn't steal God's identity and tr- replace it with profaning. And so that's, that's really the essence of that third commandment. I think one of the easiest examples of that is um, putting the, the fish sticker on your car and then drive like a bat out of hell in front of everybody. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. That, that would be a profaning of God's name. So that's why I don't put the sticker on my car. <laughs> and I also think the, the love yourself comes really into play with the, the rich young ruler. Um, in the sense of, if he truly loved himself the way God loved him, then he would want what's best for himself. And the master told him what that was. Yeah. But instead he had a selfish love for his things. Mm-hmm. And it was hard for him to let that go. Yes. Right? And that's how we all are. Right? We fight the, f- the flesh, what we want for ourselves, what we think is good for ourselves. But really we should love ourselves the way God loves us and want what truly is what's best for us. Yeah. Um, during the, I really loved how you broke down the, the, the 10 words and, and how they, they link across like the, the groups of five. Um, I was wondering that, I just didn't spend enough med- time meditating, um, but I'm so glad you-, you And you Rabbi brought. Foreman has a great teaching on that, so. And I, I was also thinking that they were even in order of Sever- severity, I was going to say importance, but I think severity is more accurate. This, the, the first seven have a death penalty, right? While eight is not, is a, you have to pay back five times. Hmm. And then nine is eye for an eye. Okay. And then 10, there's no punishment because it, you can't determine what is in someone's heart, right? Hmm. So, yeah, for, yeah, right, okay. Um, and I was also thinking that there, there's a path, you know, you mentioned how the children of Israel was, uh, there was a singular pronoun used to describe them in, in the Torah portion. And I think about the first Adam and the second Adam, right? Adam was put here to bear forth the light of God to the world and failed. 
Israel was sent here to bear forth the light of the world. Twelve tribes, right, was, was chosen to bear forth the light of God to the world, and they failed. And so the Messiah had to come. And then he, Isaiah 53, I used to think it was only the master, but in time I, I, I see the, the overlap um, of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. And the idea is it's almost like a superimposing upon each other. Like which one is going to do this, right? And because Israel failed, the Messiah had to take the mantle on and show how this is supposed to be done. Like he is Israel. Right. Um, and so salvation comes from the Jews. The master came to bring forth the light of God to the world. Right. And then, you know, must ask me, I, I teach my kids, you know, what is the light of God? It, it is Torah. Right. Not. And it's not just the, 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 the commands on the surface, as you were saying, there there is a deeper there's a deeper point, right? There's probably a self-help book for each of, you know, for each command out there, right? Um, to, to drive deeper. And, and it's all in the Bible, you know? Um, and I also think about the Great Commission, or what's called the Great Commission, at the end of Matthew, when he says, go into all the world, make disciples, teach them my commands, right? right? Yeah. Often, often forgotten or dropped off. Um, when people are quoting it, but teach them my commands. And so, and, and that's it. If, but then, and then going to the, the Yitro, Moshe, and, and the judges, if we are going to disciple others, we have to be at that level of an example. If we disciple others, we have to be at that level to where we can lead by example, right? And I think that that's a high calling. Um, yeah, it is a high calling. Yeah. Related to what you were talking about, the um, what God's giving you salvation for a purpose, not just to um, just the end in itself. Um, the rich, the rich young ruler, when he came to Yeshua, it's almost like a kind of analogy. Where when kids go to like uh, Chuck E. Cheese or whatever the Pizza Hut or whatever the places where they have games, they finish the games and they, they're done and they got the tokens, right? They're like, I'm done. I'm going to go cash this in. He's kind of like, I'm, I'm done, Lord. What have I, what, what am I, you know, what's left? I think I'm done. You know, I kind of finished everything. And then Yeshua tells him, you know, about the commandments and he says, but if you want to be complete, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He's like, wait, that's not my assignment. What, what, what do you mean? But God, the God was showing him, hey, that's, you know, like, um, Esther, her assignment was not just to be in the palace. There's a purpose for it, right? right. So, I mean, the conjecture is that um, when he does that, there's some kind of impact or something, whether it's just himself or whether it's the people that he's ruling. Maybe all those five commandments are being broken, and him doing that will change their, you know, their lives or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But in um, Mark, there's an account of a guy, a young man, who um, when Yeshua was... Um, gonna be before he was crucified there was a guy that had nothing but linen garments on um just one and and it just mentioned him briefly and then that's that's all you see and then he's you know then he's gone because somebody ripped it off oh. thinking that he was a disciple well he is i don't know if that's him or not him or not but the the thing is sometimes you think your assignment is one thing but then god's um he's like no that's not really it here's the full picture of it you know so you're bench pressing something and he's like that's great but let's let's really do what you know and he'll give you the strength to do it so yeah anyways. yeah it's like the purpose is beyond what's immediately readily visible. evident yeah. or, or present yeah <coughs> excuse me because it can be the last comment Save the best for last, Diego. Better be good. No. <laughs> um, just going back to the, uh, we'll continue on that young, uh, rich guy. Um, Yeshua um, tells him that 
there's one more thing you need to do, right? This is the thing that will make you perfect or that will make you uh, whole, which is the same Hebrew word we use for shalom. Uh, and follow me. Uh, it's interesting because this was the case for the young ruler. His attachment was to the material things that he had that perhaps he felt uh, that he has earned so much and worked so hard for it to the extent that he was so attached to it. And giving it up was, was a, a big challenge. But it could have been a different person who had something else mm-hmm. attached to it in which prevented him to fully give himself to the, this, the part of discipleship. Um, it wasn't so much to become a believer or, like you said, to get into heaven or anything like that. It's do you want to be whole here right now and have the experience of the messianic era in your life, in the here and the now? If that's what you want, then sell your what you have and come follow me. It's interesting because if you continue reading the, the, the chapter, uh, Peter says, like, Master, we have, we have sold everything. We have given up everything to follow you. Like, how is this, like, how is this even possible, right? Uh, and then he says, that, you know, for, for man it's impossible, but for God all things are possible. Uh, so the Ten Commandments, the, the, these this commandments that deals with men, these are the, the, basically the fundamental basic attachment that the world pursues after you know, the desire for honor, for material possession, uh, the, the tries, strives between brother and, and brother in regards to material things, what you have and I don't have, the constant focus and pressure of society that constant attacks us and makes us feel like these are things that we're supposed to have. You know, we're supposed to send our kids to a college. We're supposed to have the big house and the nice car and the nice uh, position in our profession. And, and all these things be- saturates our life to the extent that that becomes our priority. And if we get a chance, we'll pursue God. Mm-hmm. That's like, what are we camped facing? If we, if we asked ourselves that daily, it's like, what am I camped facing today? And then realign as needed, right? Amen. Um, let's pray and then we're going to have brief announcements. Lord, thank you for your goodness and kindness. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us that transforms us. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us a revelation of who you are and that you've called us to hearken to your voice, to follow your commands, and that your commands bring life because they transform us into uh, the image of your son, Yeshua. Lord, and they establish patterns within us and heart attitudes within us that enable us to walk more closely with you and knowing you is everlasting life, as Yeshua said. Lord, we ask you to impart uh, your wisdom to us. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen us and that you'd help us, Lord, to know what our next step is, each of us individually and as community. And we bless you and we thank you for your goodness and your presence with us in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.